Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to uh, Bethany West Seattle. Whether you are, I feel really loud. Uh, whether you are here or whether you are watching online, uh, for the or for the many who are out of town or on vacation and who may watch our service throughout the week, uh, we're just so glad that you have joined us. And so, good morning as we continue our series on the fruit of the spirits and. And today is essentially the last week as we have gone through each and every aspect of the single fruit, not the fruits, but the single fruit with many elements uh, that represent the Spirit and the Spirit's guidance in our lives. And today uh, we will talk about self-control through the Holy Spirit. May we have self-control. And so before we go, there's a couple of uh, I guess bigger announcements to make. And first is this, uh, starting next week, uh, as many of you remembered, that uh, we required masks to be inside the building of the church. And so starting next week, uh, aligned with you know, what's happening with the Delta variant, along with uh, what's happening um, in our state uh, with the mandate, the mask mandate from the governor and and just really our willingness to and desire to uh, do our part in what it takes to help with what's happening in our world within our own community. So uh, there'll be other announcements to be going forward. But again, starting next Sunday, uh, we will be requiring masks to participate and to be inside of this building. We'll have extra ones in case you forget. Secondly, uh, if you've been watching the news yet again, we've uh, been experiencing a challenging week, not just in our country, but but in our world, uh, not just with the pandemic, uh, but with what's happening in, in Afghanistan and the many lives uh, affected there and many people that are afraid of, of losing their lives. In addition to that, the, the 7.2 or so earthquake in Haiti, who has left many people homeless and in dire need, along with hurricanes in our own country, and there's just so much that is going on that I can't help but to feel a sense of melancholy or a sense of, you know, even hopelessness, even though knowing that God is our center and that God is our hope and that God is up to something, whether I feel it or not. But with that said, again, Uh, We thank you for the ways that you've contributed. Uh, We as Bethany, Bethany as a whole, uh, just last week we were able to give uh, $20,000 to uh, our friends at World Relief, uh, an organization that we've partnered with for for many years, an organization that I've done work with. I've gone to Rwanda through them. Uh, But we've donated $10,000 towards uh, a church in Haiti that is boots on the ground, doing work with the relief efforts uh, post-earthquake in Haiti, and $10,000 to, uh, again, World Relief as they are now uh, navigating an influx of Afghan refugees coming to Seattle. Uh, and so thank you for your participation in that, whether you knew it or not. And thank you that there will be other opportunities, especially around uh, the Afghan refugees, many of them settling in Seattle, uh, for us to come alongside and uh, find ways to, tangible ways to help there, whether it's, uh, and there'll be more information to come, whether it's hosting an Afghan family uh, for a few days as they transition, whether it's to picking them up from the airport and dropping them off to wherever they need to go, 
whether it's helping some uh, with paperwork and logistics, uh, translations, uh, those opportunities will be there. And so, again, we as a church want to, A, first and foremost, believe that God is up to something, even though we may not feel it, that God is doing something and the Spirit is moving, and that God has called our church, uh, the church universal, not just Bethany in West Seattle, not just Bethany, uh, but for us to move and to, and to act and to love and to provide tangible ways of caring for our neighbors, our brothers and sisters. And so uh, to that end, thank you and, and just, um, just know that things are happening and there will be other opportunities to, uh, to support and to walk alongside uh, the refugees that will be coming in Seattle. So this morning, our text comes from Matthew chapter 26. Verse 51 to 54, and the word of the Lord says this. Suddenly, uh, and the context behind this is that Jesus is approached by the, the soldiers, and he is about to be arrested. And so in verse 51, it says, Suddenly, one of those with Jesus put his hand uh, on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword away. Put your sword back into its place. For all who, t- who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then, would we, uh, fulfill, how, how then will the scriptures be fulfilled? Which says, it must happen this way. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, for the ways that you empower us. Uh, to exemplify and to have self-control. That at the end of the day, we know that it's not actually from self. It's from you. And so continue to give us that strength to, to practice self-control, to love others, to, to pray upon uh, responding and to be gentle and to be kind. May we just remember the things that we've learned. God, we pray, and sometimes it feels trivial uh, of praying, but may we believe the power of prayer that you hear us and that you're moving in the lives uh, of others, those that are struggling, those that haven't fallen sick to, to this virus, those that are afraid for their lives in Afghanistan and, and have the opportunity to come, to come here for safety, for refuge. All the division that, that we are seeing in the world, in our own communities. God, just be with us as we navigate this. Be with us as we seek your wisdom. In your name we pray, amen and amen. So several years ago, uh, I had an opportunity to be a chaplain in in different capacities, many on a volunteer basis, uh, some through my seminary program, and, and I've had an opportunity to be a chaplain in a hospital uh, in, in adult prisons. Uh, but one of the experiences that I'll never forget is being a chaplain at a youth detention center. Uh, and I remember having conversations with particular uh, teenagers that were in this detention center. And I'll never forget one conversation that I had. And <clears throat> he was telling me about the things that he's done that landed him at this detention center. And at this detention center, he was uh, there for a few years, and he told me that after he turned 18, that then he would be moved to an adult prison for for many, many more years. 
But at the end of the conversation, as he revealed to me some of the things that he's done and some of the, some of the really the pain and the hardship that he's caused in his own family, amongst his friends, uh, by the end of it, he was describing so much uh, remorse and regret of the pain that he caused. And as I left, I'll never forget the way that he ended the conversation. He said to me, he said, I lost control. And he said in the last, in under five seconds, his life changed forever. He said, Prentice, I lost control. In that moment, I lost my self-control. I lost control. In under five seconds, my entire life changed. And it ended up with him being where he was at and the consequences he's facing to this day. Now, I think about this idea of the lack of self-control and the, and the impulsiveness that we have and the temptations that we fall under and, and the promises that we cling to, even though there's other promises that are real that land us in sometimes a hot mess. I mean, think about the last time that you exemplified a lack or a loss of self-control. It could be the way that you reacted to somebody that you regret, and now you can't take back the words that you said. Maybe you ate a certain food or had a certain diet that you broke, that you committed to. Maybe you impulsively purchased something online because it was just as easy as, as clicking a button. Maybe against your better judgment, you engage, and we see this, we see this a lot, engage in a social media tornado. Maybe something you did in the heat of the moment now has lasting consequences. Maybe it was something so devastating that you broke trust with a loved one, a spouse, a friend. And I've seen this and I've walked alongside people that have experienced infidelity because of this very reason, the lack of self-control. And the reality is it's this lack of self-control that is oftentimes the single biggest reason why we experience hardships in our lives. Now, I love how one commentator uh, in Galatians talking about the word self-control defines self-control like this. To have self-control is the ability to do what is right, to, doing the right thing even when we don't like it. This is, it the definition is as simple as that. Self-control, practicing self-control is the ability to do what's right even when we don't want to, even when it doesn't feel good, even when we don't like it. It's the ability to do what is right. Now, what complicates all of this, especially if you uh, proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, is that the word that Paul uses is the word self-control. It's confusing because of the word self. It's, it's almost like it's interpreted as something that we need to achieve on our own. The ability to do the right thing even when it's hard. The ability to do the right thing even when it doesn't feel good or we don't want to do it. Self-control is this, I, can be confused with this idea that in order to do that, we have to do everything ourselves. And so we hear the words like practicing willpower, 
having self-mastery, practicing mental toughness, having self-discipline. And the hard truth is that this kind of self-control, the, the, the self-control that the Bible isn't talking about, but the self-control that we often uh, gravitate towards to, it, it's, and we've experienced this, is it, it has no match for many of us. It is no match for what many of us, and myself included, are up against every single day in our lives, especially as a culture of indulgence and, and instant, instant gratification. We're part of a culture that prioritizes pleasure over wisdom. We live in a world where there is such thing as social media influencers who literally make a million, who make millions of dollars advertising certain merchandise and lifestyles on their social media, and, and they get paid to do so. And, and out of that, maybe it's not just social media, maybe it's just media and technology in general that we see all throughout our lives every single day. We're bombarded with literally hundreds of messages every single day. We're tricked into believing who we are and what we have. It's just simply not enough. We have this even self-talk through that. We're not thin enough. We're not strong enough. We're not rich enough. We're not famous enough. You fill in the blank. Oftentimes, the messaging that we see is we are not something enough. And I see this often too much within my own life and within the people that I love around me. And the funny thing is oftentimes the people that uh, are influencing us and people that we want to look like and be like in real life, majority of the time, they don't actually look like the way that they are perceived to look like. They don't actually have the things that they want to say that they have. I remember the first time at a young age when I was influenced by media. And remember these things that we used to have a long time ago called commercials? You know, now we don't really watch commercials, but there was a commercial as uh, a young elementary up to middle school student as I was, a commercial on milk. And it was this commercial where this tiny boy would go up to a mirror and say, well, I'm drinking milk, and maybe I'm dating myself, and maybe some of you remember this. And as this person is looking into the mirror and drinking milk, Throughout the years, he's getting taller and bigger and stronger, and he uh, goes from being a scrawny little kid uh, after drinking milk, being this huge like football player type. And I remember thinking, okay, I know what I need to do. In order for me to now look like that, I need to drink more milk. And here's a little fun fact. Most Asians, particularly Korean-Americans, are lactose intolerant. And so I won't go into details, but I promise you, it had the opposite effect of anything that was good. But we fall for these things. We fall into the lies uh, of not only what we should look like and what we should have and what we should be like, but what brings us joy. We fall into these lies of what brings us joy. In one of Forbes' latest magazines online, there was an article, and it was about a data breach, a huge data breach on a website that helped 
spouses have affairs. And in fact, the, the tagline or the, or the motto that this website had was, and this is in quotes, life is short, have an affair. And according to Forbes, in 2015, get this, this is wild, in 2015, from the data breach, they were able to confirm, confirm that there were over 30 million active users because they fell into this lie, lie that life is short. They should have an affair, this impulsive lack of self-control because they fell to this lie of what actually brings them joy. See, we live in a culture that is terrible, just awful at waiting. Immediacy has been elevated. And this, this immediacy that has been elevated destroys our ability to see clearly. And oftentimes, this inability to see will have consequences in our lives. Oftentimes, because of this need for instant gratification, for pleasure over wisdom, for, for this false sense of joy. In life, we play checkers, when in reality, in life, we should be playing chess. We don't think of the long game. We don't think of the big picture. We don't think two, three, four, five, six, seven steps ahead. We think about the now, because we've been conditioned to think about only the now. And oftentimes, and many times, what we've experienced is it destroys our lives, our relationships, our own souls. And I think about the story that we just read, and I think about Peter's reaction. You see, Jesus, again, is about to be arrested, and to make matters worse, he's being turned in by one of his so-called friends named Judas for some money. And so listen to what it says before the verse that we just read. It says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. These are the people that wanted to arrest Jesus and to have him crucified. Judas brought him over. Jesus' own friend. And Judas says this. It says about Judas, Now the betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign saying, The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. So Judas is about to betray him. This is the plan. At once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Not out of love or endearment or out of friendship, but out of, Hey, this is the guy that you need to arrest. And I love the, the, the reactions that I want us to notice between Jesus and Peter himself. Here's what it says about Peter. And this is actually in Luke's version of the same story. It says, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, which is the arrest, they said, and this is Jesus' own friends. They're, they're coming to his rescue. And, and Jesus' own friend says, Lord, what should we do? Should we strike with our swords? And then it says, and one of them, this is uh, Peter, one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Now, I, I want you to catch something real quick. Now, here comes this mob of people along with the betrayer Judas, Judas going up to Jesus saying, all right, this is a man to arrest. Now, on the other side is Jesus and his friends. 
And Jesus' friends immediately say, okay, impulsively, dare I say, Jesus, what should we do? Should we pull out our sword and attack? And it's funny because there's a question mark. Even in the original Greek, there's a, it's a question. Should we attack? And, and notice that there was nothing in between. The following verse says, and one of them, this is Peter, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off the ear. So it's like, what should we do? Zero waiting. Zero waiting for a response of Jesus. No instructions. No nothing. Out of pure impulse and out of just sheer you know, perhaps loyalty or not even thinking about what the consequences were, he drew the sword, asked a question, didn't wait, and just struck the guy and cut off his ear. And then Jesus takes the ear and heals that soldier. You see, the instinct that Peter had was to kill. And it's just ironic or dare I say funny that he doesn't even wait for an answer he says should we strike and then he struck but look what Jesus does in his response and this is from back to our uh, verses in Matthew chapter 26 Peter did what he did but here's Jesus's response Jesus said to him talking to Judas he said friend do what you are here to do now this is a big statement Peter's angry, and out of his lack of self-control, without waiting for what Jesus wanted him to do, he just cuts off an ear, just resorts to violence, and doesn't think about the consequences. And Jesus, being calm, cool, and collected, his response says, friend. He calls Judas friend, and not just any friend, calls him companion, is the original Greek word. It's a level of intimacy, of connection, of friendship. And Jesus says, friend. Do what you are here to do. And then after that, they did. They came and they laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to these kind of difficult situations, when emotions run high, when you have been hurt, or maybe a friend has been hurt, or maybe there's a moment where you just lose a sense of of self-control I don't know about you, but between Jesus and Peter, I resonate with Peter a lot. And I don't know, again, I talk about my Enneagram 8 all the time, and I blame it on that because automatically I'm always responding. I'm always reacting. If I see an injustice, I want to say it immediately. There's nothing wrong with that. We should always tell the truth. We should always speak up against injustice. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but I wonder for myself if I can do that with a little bit more sense of wisdom and patience and thoughtfulness. I was even telling a few people, including Maria, that it's like, man, this sermon for me is really hard because I feel like it's about the very thing that I lack the most. It's this sense of self-control. And so maybe you're like me. Maybe you don't resonate as much with Jesus. Maybe if you put yourself in this whole predicament, you would be the one saying, Jesus, let's do something and maybe attack, maybe not cut off someone's ear, maybe not with a a weapon. Maybe you might respond in a violent, maybe with words, uh, a violent kind of way, rather than be like Jesus, who says, friends, just do what you need to do. And one thing that we have to realize is that when Paul is talking about self-control, know that it's in light of the fruit of the Spirit. 
Remember, the word self-control is tricky because it has the word self in there. Self-control, I need to do it. I need to be the one. I need to have self-control, self-discipline, self-mastery. But it's not about willpower. Because if it's about willpower, we will fail many times over. It's not about willpower. Rather, it's about the power of God through us. It's about the power and the strength of Christ, of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that is engulfed in us in order to practice self-control, even in the hardest moments where we feel like self-control is impossible to experience. In our life, we are faced with many choices, with many hardships, with many challenges, with, with, with many hurts. We see this. We see division uh, in our world, in our own families. We see places where we're hurt, uh, where people say mean things to us, where we experience things that are unkind. And maybe we are also the perpetrators of that unto others. We are bombarded with messages that we need certain things and we need it now, even if those very things are antithetical to the good life that God promises and calls us to have. But through the Holy Spirit that is at work within us, we can trust that, that God is working in our lives so that we can have self-control. But again, not the self-control that the culture, that the world talks about, but the one that is promised to us by God in order that we could be faithful to God, to others, to be obedient to God, to others, to live the best life in John 10, 10, to live a life to the fullest, and that is under the reign of the Spirit. I love Jesus' response further down in Matthew chapter 26, after Peter cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus says, do you think I cannot just call my father and he will at once uh, put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then will the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? I mean, I love that response. Peter, look, you just caught off the guys. Don't you think I can handle this? Is essentially what, Peter, uh, what Jesus is saying to Peter. Don't you think that in a snap of my finger, I can call upon the Father, and if I wanted some kind of revenge, some impulsive move, uh, I can just snap my finger, and God the Father would send 12 legions of angels to just destroy and crush these people, this mob that is here for me. Now, legion is is a word that was often described to Roman soldiers. Uh, One legion amounted to 6,000 soldiers. And so multiply that by 12, Jesus is saying, in a snap of my finger, I can have 72,000. I didn't just do that math. I had to do it in my notes. Don't you think I can just snap my finger and 72 angels can just come and just destroy these people that are coming to get me? Of course. But I love his words. Jesus says, But how then, but how then would God's plan be fulfilled? Jesus resists the compulsion 
to defeat the soldiers because he understands that there's a bigger picture involved, which is God's plan for Jesus to be the Savior of the world through the cross, his life, death, and resurrection. That was the plan. That is the plan for Jesus. That was the plan for us. That's the plan for the world. And yes, Jesus could have saw the, the short picture, the immediacy of instant gratification, saying, you know what, I'm going to snap my fingers and 72,000 uh, angels come and just wipe them out and just done, just like that. But he says, but how then would God's plan be fulfilled? And I think that is such an, an important question for all of us to ask. But how then? And I think that question would change the way that, we're, that we respond. If we just took a moment not to just react, and I'm good at that, but if we took a, a moment not just to immediately just lose self-control and just react to our emotions or to the pain or the hurt that is causing us, what if we just think about, but how then would my actions affect my relationship? If I reacted the way I wanted to, but how then would I be reconciled to my spouse, to my friend, to my partner? But how then would my tomorrow look like? If I did this, but how then would this affect others? But how then would I actually be living out my calling as a follower of Christ? But how then? I would imagine... When I was, a, again, in my experience as a chaplain, if that student, and this isn't a judgment on the student, we all make mistakes, but I wonder if he would have, instead of responded and reacted in an emotional way, that, he, like his own words, he said, he says, Prentice, I'm here in this detention center going to an adult jail because... Uh, under five seconds, I lost control, and under five seconds, my life changed forever. What if he asked himself, just for a split second, if I do what I want to do, if I respond the way I want to respond, how then will my life look? How then will my family be affected? And my hope is that as we talk and unpack this idea of self-control, that we, A, that we would truly understand that it's not really about something that we achieve our, uh, on our own, but it's something that we grasp as a gift from the Holy Spirit. Because if we try to attack all the lies and all the promises of the world with our own willpower, we will fail. You know, there's one psychologist, uh, actually, this guy named Daniel, Dr. Daniel Block. He's a board-certified psychiatrist. He talks about this idea of ego depletion. And it's this idea that we're just wired in, in a way where willpower becomes depleted. And he says this in one article that he wrote, willpower is a limited resource. And we're talking about this willpower, that the, the lie that we can do things on ourselves. But he says this, willpower is a limited resource. The idea behind this theory is that of ego depletion is that willpower is like a muscle in that it can both be strengthened and fatigued. 
For example, if you exhaust yourself doing sprints, you will be less able to form other physical tasks. In the same way, willpower and self-control are much the same. If you use your available energy and reach a state of ego depletion, you will have less self-control when faced with ensuing tasks. This is a secular psychiatrist. It's not a Christian author. It's not a Christian book. What he's saying is that oftentimes when we just try to do things on our own with willpower, eventually we will be fatigued and we will lose self-control. It's a limited resource. And so may we as followers of Christ understand the supernatural strength that we receive through the Spirit. And part of that is the fruit of the Spirit. And inside the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Yes, there's love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, all of that. But that also includes self-control, being powered by the Spirit. So as I invite Abigail back up and as we respond in a, in a time of worship, in a time of response and reflection, do you need to further strengthen the muscle of self-control? In a world where constantly we are feeling attacked or divided, where there's people that's causing us pain, and maybe, again, maybe we or you are the perpetrator of that, can we practice more self-control? In other words, can we further depend on the power of the Spirit to guide us, not that we would be perfect in every way, but that we will be guided and informed by our faith in Jesus Christ. That we would be less like Peter and would be more like Jesus, who says, yes, I could have done all those things. I can respond in all these different million ways. But he says, but how then? would my life look? How then would I be honoring the Father? How then would I be honoring those around me? May we think about these things. May in life, as followers of Christ, may we play chess, not checkers. May we be thinking one, two, three, four, ten steps ahead, as Jesus did, rather than being so impulsive and moving and and oftentimes self-destructing. Now, again, if you, you navigate certain things like addiction, whether it's substance, food, sugar, whatever it might be, my message here isn't just pray it away, although I do believe in the power of prayer, but I also believe in answer to prayer or the people that God sends in our lives to help and to navigate that. So if, if you're here and you're watching and you're listening and and you are wrestling with a deep loss of self-control to the point where you would identify as being addicted to something, we have a list of counselors that can help you navigate that. Please reach out to me. Please send us an email. It's just Bethany West Seattle at churchbcc.org. We want to provide resources. So may we, as a people of God, practice self-control, not by our own willpower, but by the power of God that lives within us.
Let's pray. God, thank you. That we don't have to do life alone. Not only do we have our community, but we have you to further empower us to make good decisions, to be wise, not to be overwhelmed with uh, this need for the immediacy, not to be influenced by the things that we don't have, by uh, believing this lie that we're not enough. And so out of impulse, out of lack of self-control, we do whatever it takes to achieve those very things. But God, those are all lies. Help us to to stay steadfast to what you have for us and how you want us to live and, and for us to be faithful so that we may experience true joy, true fulfillment, true worth that only comes from you. We thank you for who you are. Forgive us for the times that we failed. And may we live in grace. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Let's continue as a song of response.